Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So if you've been following the site for a while, you probably are familiar with Matt Moore. He is our resident chef on theartofmanliness.com. He's written the lion's share of the cooking content on our site, and he's done stuff about it, how to make your homemade pasta, how to make gumbo, how to make chili, how to cook with wild game, all sorts of great stuff. And the thing I love about Matt is he makes cooking approachable. And it's not intimidating. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love publishing this content on our site. Uh, Anyways, Matt's got a new book out. It's a big deal. It's with Southern Living Magazine. It's called A Southern Gentleman's Kitchen, Adventures in Cooking, Eating, and Living in the New South. And today on the show, we're going to talk about Matt's really interesting background because he didn't start off being a uh, a cookbook writer. In fact, he started out as a musician. Uh, In addition to this cookbook thing, he also has a cologne company that he runs with his friends. It's called Moonshine Cologne. He's done some other stuff too. It's one of my favorite cologne. Uh, really interesting guy, really interesting backgrounds. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship. Then we're going to talk about why a man should know how to cook. We're going to talk about his boar hunt from a helicopter and uh, cooking that boar that he killed. And we're also going to discuss the intricacies and the finer points of cooking the perfect steak. Uh, really fun podcast with some really great takeaways as well. I think you're going to like this. So without further ado, Mr. Matt Moore. Matt Moore, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You know, for many, many years, it's only been me writing, so yeah, uh, I get I get a chance to like ponder over every little word. And now <laughs> I might have to preface this that if I say something stupid, I apologize. <laughs> no, I know how it goes, man. So for those of you who don't uh, read the website regularly and just a podcast listener, uh, Matt has been. How long have you been writing cooking content for us? We've been writing together for, I believe, just around five years. Yeah. That's great. How did we connect? You reached out to me about your first cookbook, right? I did. Yeah. A buddy of mine had emailed me on Facebook at the time that I had just launched the first book, Have a River for Dinner. And he was actually living in Hawaii at the time. And he said, Hey man, you know, I've I've come across this blog. I think it's a great fit. Uh, You should reach out to him and see if you could do a guest post. And I remember emailing you and you got back with me pretty quickly and I had pitched you on the whole idea of guys cooking for girls and 
uh, we just kind of started our relationship there through the internet. We met on the internet. We met on the internet. <laughs> That's how it goes these days. So let's let's, let's start talking about your history because you have an interesting, interesting background story, right? Uh, sure. So you you just come with your new book, A Southern Gentleman's Kitchen, uh, done with Southern Living Magazine. Big big deal. And then you did the uh, cookbook, Have Her Over for Dinner. You, we'll talk about how you self published that. But like, yeah. I, was becoming like an expert like cookbook writer. Was that your initial goal when you started out your adult life? Or did- uh, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> so how did that happen? What a, great, what a long, strange trip it's been. Um, you know, for me, I, I was really fortunate. Grew up um, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Really, really active in sports. Uh, some of my friends have gone on to play in the major leagues and, and football and baseball. And for many, many years, I thought that I was you know destined to become uh, the next great baseball player, but some injuries came along and I probably wasn't good enough in the first place. You know, let's not kid ourselves here. Uh, and I went to the university of Georgia and my second love was always music. So I was, uh, in a band for about six years, um, for those through college where we toured all over the Southeast and much of the East coast. Uh, and then I had a dream that I wanted to be in Nashville, Tennessee, came to Nashville. Our, our band was, was ready to go and hit the road. And then the band broke up. And uh, I remember at that time when I had moved to Nashville, I reached out to a friend of mine. It was the only guy that I knew here in town. He was a songwriter. He was the creative director of EMI Music Publishing. And I'll never forget it. I sent him an email. I said, hey, Bruce, you know, I finally made it to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the band broke up, but I'm here. Can't wait to do it. And he said, you know what, Matt, that's great. He said, it's a 10-year town. And he said, the problem is I just moved back down to Athens, Georgia, to start the music department for the University of Georgia, which is where I had gone to school. <laughs> so uh, you often hear that many, many times when it comes to um, Nashville and how long the process can be in the music world. And I kind of count myself fortunate uh, in the sense that my first few years were really fun. I got to go out and do a lot of great things as a musician and as a performer. And a lot of the guys that I know that I featured in this book that are near and dear to my heart are now at the top of the country music charts. But to be honest with you, Brett, I really kind of lost my passion for for music. It really wasn't something that I uh, had my heart into. And I really loved writing. I loved um, you know, teaching guys about uh, some of the experiences that I had grown up with with food. And that all started from playing music. We would go down to New Orleans and play shows uh, all over the state of Georgia. And we'd bring back all this great food and throw big parties. And I kind of had this idea of sorts at that time that maybe writing a cookbook uh, was a bit of a, a good idea. And that's really a, a crazy path that, that led me into this whole world of food. Okay. And your first cookbook was self-published, right? It was. I had a buddy of mine who was working for uh, one of the artist agencies, CAA, here in town. And I had told him, uh, hey, man, you know, I think I'm going to write a cookbook. And at the time, he was like, man, that's a great idea. Uh, he was a young agent in the music business. He never liked my music, but all of a sudden he liked this cookbook idea. <laughs> and we, we still laugh about it to this day. So I, I kind of put together a book proposal and he, uh, flew out on a plane to Los Angeles to meet with the creative folks at, at Creative Artist Agency. And the first thing they said was like, well, this is real cute. Like, I mean, your friend doesn't have a platform. He doesn't have a popular blog. He's not a celebrity. Like, you know, why in the world would you ever think, A, that we'd be interested in, in signing this guy? Uh, B, he's not a chef, so why does he want to write a cookbook? And C, they kind of made a joke to him. They said, all of our publishing department is based in New York and not L.A. <laughs> so we found out pretty quickly that 
I, I say it to, to no avail. We were so green back then that we just didn't know any better, um, which led me down the road of getting a thousand no's from basically every agent and every publisher in New York, which led me to the self-publishing process. And what was great about it, though, it's, it was a hit. Like the New York Times called it one of the best cookbooks of when, when was this published? I think it was like. Two, yeah, that was in 2000, 2011. Okay. Um, but that was a long road. You know, right now, um, the idea for books and even, you know, music and albums and business, I think we have this tendency that when it launches, it's like that's our opportunity to seize the moment and you've got to build up this huge bit of momentum. Your business has to get this much funding or your album has to sell this many copies or your book has to do this, that, or the other. For me, um, you know, coming out of the music business, especially the independent music business, I kind of just started to pepper and, and build a little bit of a following here uh, in Nashville and then just outside of Atlanta where I was from. And it was a slow build. It was reaching out to folks like yourself that were starting out uh, building blogs and, and trying to spread the word organically. So, quote-unquote, saying it was a success, to be honest with you, I was probably eight to ten months in post-book launch, and it was a fun period in my life. You know, I put up some money and scratched up what I had and kind of went out and started promoting it and knocking on a ton of doors. And um, it wasn't like, you know, the New York Times just got a copy and all of a sudden said this is, you know, one of the year's best cookbooks. <laughs> it took a ton, a ton of work, and I'd say even more rejection. Uh, oftentimes people, you know, see a story like mine and they're like, man, I could never do that. But it, it's a marathon. You know, it's something that you have to wake up. And I like to say every day, I think we wrote an article about this back then, that my goal every day, whether it's in business or anything creative, is that I want to wake up every day and hear the word no a hundred times. <laughs> and if I hear that that many times, uh, A, it tells me that I'm, I'm pitching hard enough. Uh, because not everyone's going to like what you do. Mm -hmm. But I also know that the more and more of those that you queue up, uh, you're going to start to get some yeses. And it's hard to to hear the word no and for folks not to maybe like your ideas or what you're doing. Um, but if you're constantly afraid and you're never putting something out there, you're actually just never going to grow or get anywhere. Uh, and that was a lesson that I learned by self-publishing that book. And I have to attribute a lot of the, the later success to those early lessons that I learned. Well, how do you get over that fear of rejection? Is it just a matter of exposing yourself to it as much as you can where you just sort of become desensitized to it? Or do you engage any sort of like mindset work to help you like bone, you know, steal yourself up for the rejection? Or is it just a matter of just, you just get used to it? You know, it's like my favorite Pink Floyd song, Comfortably Numb. Uh, I'd say especially in the creative space, if you're a writer or you're in music, uh, you're a chef, um, it's tough, you know, when people don't like what you do, uh, even as an entrepreneur, it, it almost feels personal. Um, for me, I think that one of the biggest strengths that you can have if you're, if you're interested in that space is to very quickly get over that. Uh, you know, value people's opinions. I think I've been told no on a lot of ideas that I did not end up pursuing. And in hindsight, I'm glad that I was told the word no, and I'm, I'm glad it gave me pause to maybe reconsider or adapt or change. I mean, even like when I turn in, you know, an article for you that you don't feel like is on point, uh, oftentimes that's a good chance for me to go back and, and reconsider what I'm trying to do. At the same time, you know, you can be super passionate. And yeah. I like to sometimes use the word no as kind of more fuel to the fire. 
those words that keep coming up and rejections just kind of provide me with uh, a little bit more ammunition to keep pursuing and, and being persistent uh, and being even more determined to make sure that I'm doing everything possible to go out and achieve my goals. Awesome. So before we get more into cooking, I, we got to bring up the fact that the cooking thing, the music, isn't the only thing you've done. You've also, with, along with a group of your friends, started a cologne company. The reason I bring that up is I'm, I'm in my closet right now, and I, there's a bottle of moonshine looking right. at me. And if you guys haven't checked don't this stuff out. It. No, don't, don't drink, drink it. Moonshine. No, that would kill you. You're a former attorney, so you yeah. can see that we, we basically put that on every part of the box. <laughs> but no, it, it smells fantastic. It's, it's my, my favorite cologne. Um, so how did that happen? Right. Did this happen? Like, was this a, a plan for a long time or did this happen just at a spur of the moment thing? Uh, how did you end up becoming or creating a cologne fragrance company? You know, I, I think this is the important lesson that I want all the listeners to take away is you really never know where your path is going to lead. Right. Uh, I think we can always try to make plans or, study a certain venture and, and, and try to force things down a certain path. But if you pull anything from my story, hopefully it's like you, you never know what opportunity is going to lead you into the next one. So I went to the University of Georgia, um, really wasn't sure what I wanted to study. My parents told me to study business. So I ended up getting a degree in international finance and French. Uh, I really liked this girl that was in my French class throughout college, and that's why I pursued it so heavily. <laughs> um, but then, you know, you, you heard the backstory of, of moving to Nashville and doing the cookbook. And then I hit this phase where even though I'd had, uh, you know, a bit of success, critical success in the food writing world, uh, I, I had this idea for the book that we, we just now have published five years later. And still, even with, you know, the New York Times and all the cool things that that led to, uh, could not find a home for the book. And so I kind of was a little bit disenfranchised. Um, just wanted to take a little bit of a, a bit of time off, if you will. It was, I, I was tired of hearing the word no. And I was on a long run one day, and, and oftentimes that's, that's kind of my creative space is to go out for a long run and just kind of let my mind wander. And a buddy of mine that I went to college with was actually doing some male modeling, and trust me, we gave him a hard time for that, uh, for some brands where basically they were taking like polo shirts and instead of it being a horse, they were putting, I don't know, like uh, some other icon on it and, and repackaging it and calling it a Southern brand and, and selling it. Uh, and it seemed to be a successful venture. And I had another partner of mine that it was a good friend. He's an attorney. And uh, I kind of pitched him the idea of like, man, I've, I've never really known anything about fragrance, but... In the same way that I thought the cookbook publishing world was this antiquated world that was so driven by celebrity and hype, uh, I thought that the name Moonshine Cologne would really reverberate very well with like what I grew up with. Uh, good old boys from, from the South, a lot of fraternity guys in college that maybe had never worn fragrance because they didn't want Justin Bieber to tell them what they wanted to smell like. <laughs> and, uh, so we just kind of stumbled onto it. It was one of those things that we're like, you know what, we're, we're good friends. Uh, this would be a cool business opportunity. And at the worst case scenario, we're going to have great Christmas presents for uh, <laughs> you know our friends and family for the next three years. Now, again, being that green, because we were just that green, I mean, the fragrance business is this crazy complicated business that's really managed <clears throat> throughout Europe and the world. The United States is actually seventh in the world in terms of per capita spending on fragrance. 
So we launched in like the least profitable market. Uh, we had to do a lot of international partnerships. And in hindsight, my parents are very happy because I'm finally using my degree in international business and speaking French with a lot of partners over there. Um, but we saw a void in the marketplace. And, and I think the big lesson learned is that we were maybe a little bit uh, green and, and didn't know enough about it, but we weren't phased by the major brands and the major players, and we put our money where our mouth was. Uh, it was a smaller investment. I think oftentimes when people are looking at starting companies, especially if they've come from the corporate world or they've come from a world where they're not floating uh, the startup capital, they think right on you know, we need a brand manager, a graphic designer, and a publicist and all these things. Uh, we did everything ourselves. And even to this day, we still do everything to ourselves. And, and that could be a fault based on the size of the company that we've grown. But we just work our tail off every day. Um, so it came, about, it came about very naturally and organically. And we've even told a story on your site from starting out in my friend's parents' basement, <laughs> you know, hand-bottling this fragrance and picking up the phone and calling stores throughout the country and, and literally selling it store by store. It's just waking up and taking that, you know, first steps, that first step forward every single day. Uh, and we built it to a, to a successful company. And you know, I think there's a lot of luck. We're very humbled by it. We're very grateful for it. But even as we've matured as a company, uh, we've realized that we've got to continue to, to nurture it and grow it and, uh, you know, always keep it at the forefront that if, if you don't pay attention to it, then, you know, a lot of those blessings that we receive from our hard work will go away. All right. So let's talk cooking here. So you've sort of yeah. made it your mission in life to not just write about cooking, but write it geared towards men. Why is that? I mean, what is it? Why do, why are a lot of men apprehensive about cooking in the first place? You know, you're right. It is kind of a mission statement for me. Um, growing up, I was fortunate to, to be in a home where uh, every night, whether I came home from football or baseball practice, uh, my father not only said, hey, you got to get your homework done, you got to clean the kitchen, but you're also going to uh, help mom out and, and, and be there as well. So I you know, attribute a lot of the strength of, of my family and the relationships that we have and, and a lot of my upbringing to the nightly ritual of sitting around with my family, uh, not playing on the phone, not watching TV, not at the neighborhood restaurant, but just sitting down and, and having a family meal. Uh, when I got to college and beyond, I kind of realized that uh, men and women, for that matter, didn't really have the same experience that I had. You know, a lot of the, the meals were outsourced to the local restaurant or there's a lot of distractions. And the central idea of, of cooking, really nobody knew how to cook. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, most people don't think men know how to cook, but it really was true for that generation because it just wasn't a common thing that they saw in the household. Uh, for me, uh, I found a lot of joy in, in teaching others uh, what I had learned from family experiences, but I also came to find that I believe that men can become better men in the, in the strangest of all places, which is the kitchen. And that's much of the subject of all the articles that I write for you. I like to, to tell stories about, you know, what the end goal is. It's not just a fried chicken recipe, but it's a chance for you to try something new. Uh, it's a chance for you to take on a bit of, of risk, a little bit of adventure. And then also the satisfaction that can result from, you know, uh, doing something that you've never done before, you've never had experience in doing. And I think the niche that a lot of folks have left out and what's been my strong suit is making cooking super approachable. Yeah. Uh, you know, you turn on the TV, you watch Top Chef, you watch Chopped. I mean, these are pretty amazing shows, but, you know, 
nobody even knows how to boil water that's watching these shows, yet they could discern to me and, and critique the, the flambe style. I mean, it sounds so ridiculous <laughs> to me. So instead, what I wanted to do within my food writing is always really be careful to keep things as simple as possible, um, make it as approachable as possible, make it affordable. Um, if I'm trying to tell somebody to skip the, the, the restaurant down the street and make something at home, I want them to spend less making it at home than they than they do uh, just going out to eat, and that's often a really tough thing, especially if they're single guys or, or young couples. Um, you know, if I told you to make fajitas in your house and you wanted steak and chicken and shrimp and guacamole and sour cream and cheese and everything else, I'd say, you know what, go down to the local restaurant because you'll never make it cheaper <laughs> than what you can buy it for. Um, so I'm always trying to tailor that for my audience and invite people into the kitchen and show them that it is something that they can do. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer a free plant consultation forever. So I use Fast Growing Trees to order not an indoor tree, but an outdoor tree. There is an oak tree that was in our front yard that died a few years ago due to heat stress. Had to cut it down. There's been a blank spot that I wanted to put another tree there. I wanted a maple tree that turned bright red during the fall. And I went on Fast Growing Trees, found the tree that fit the criteria that I was looking for. Turns bright red. It's a maple tree that turns bright red in the fall. So if you want to try Fast Growing Trees, right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code MANLINESS at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code MANLINESS at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code MANLINESS, offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. 
ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of known in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we've loved having you write articles for the site is that you do make it approachable. Like even for me, I'm I'm somewhat in, like my my go to meals for when I, it's my turn to cook. It's like hot dogs, hamburgers, chili, you know, just like eggs yeah, and pancakes. But when I nothing whenever wrong you, with all those, man. Yeah, nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Good good stuff. But like whenever you publish an article or just flipping through your the book, the Southern Gentleman's Kitchen, I look at these stuff and I'm like. I could do that, right? And even though it looks amazing, like it looks like it's something that you have to be a five-star chef to know how to do. You look at right. the prep and the recipe, the ingredients, and you're like, wow, that's actually not that hard. Yeah, and that's a big philosophy for me. Um, you know, I always am really conscious about the ingredients that I'm using, uh, the techniques that I'm using. And, and let's get real, you know, I mean – Cooking, is it something that you're just going to wake up one day and, and follow a recipe and it's just going to be, ta-da, everything's perfect? Uh, you know, there's nuances uh, of learning, and you can follow the written recipe to the T, uh, and that's one of the things I love about cookbooks, especially the one that we just did, is it was tested so many times that you should be able to follow it exactly and, and get the results that, that it should yield. But at the same time, it, it is a learning process. You know, I didn't just automatically, after cooking hundreds of meals with my mom, uh, leave and, and go out and start to, to become this wizard in the kitchen. I had to burn some, some steaks. I had to overcook some things. I had to, uh, to make a lot of mistakes, um, until I really learned how to perfect certain dishes or come up with just kind of a, a base of knowledge. And so that's my biggest thing is whether or not you ever cook a recipe out of there. I just want to intrigue folks that it is something that they can do. Um, it's, it's a lifelong learning process. You know, we talked the other week about intellectual curiosity, and it's it's like this never-ending search to be uh, knowledgeable. And and cooking is one of those rare things that, you know, whether it's different types of cuisine, like smoking barbecue, to the ramen trend that's going on, to the perfect taco, to the perfect chili and hot dog. I mean, you can constantly, you know, evolve and keep learning from those things and, and utilizing different ingredients. So. It's just such a cool place that people often forget about because I think it's just like a necessity. Like, I got to eat dinner. Uh, I want folks to find some joy in that 
and also realize that they're improving themselves by actually cooking that dinner. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I love seeing uh, on the Instagram, our Instagram feed is like when people uh-huh. share the food that they made inspired by your post. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it's like guys who never really, they don't, I, they like, I never cooked before, but I, I gave this a go. And yeah. it, it was awesome. It, it was something they did with their, like the noodle. Like, you showed us how to make ha- like homemade noodles. Uh-huh, spaghetti. Yeah. I had so many, yeah, people yeah. showing like, you know, pictures like here, I, I was doing this with my daughter you know, I was doing this with my yeah. wife. I mean, that's one of the great things is that, um, about cooking at home is that it, it's a great way. It's not just about the food. It's about the camaraderie and the fellowship that goes along with it. Absolutely. You know, being born and raised in the South, uh, I think one of our greatest attributes is, is hospitality and, and generosity, you know, um, in fact, my wife and I are expecting our, our first here later this week, and I've already got a train of friends saying, you know, what can we bring you in on what day? And, and they're doing it by bringing you food. Yeah. Uh, it's just a really, really simple, old, tried and true tradition that we share throughout the United States. It's not just something that goes on in the South. Um, you know, for me, uh, I, I like to, and as I often talk about, I enjoy at the end of the day maybe having a glass of wine or a bourbon on the rocks. And it's my chance when I cook, it's actually like this this great form of relaxation. Uh, one of my favorite things, going back into, into history and into time, you know, one of the, uh, the problems when the assembly line came out, uh, the old Ford plants, was they found that workers were so disenfranchised in that process because they were basically just like a number on the blocks that were putting together a car, and they never had the satisfaction of saying, like, you know what, I built that. Uh, for me, cooking is one of those rare things that within 30 minutes you can start with all these raw ingredients and then 30 minutes later end up with this meal that not only you're enjoying but that you're providing to maybe your partner or to the rest of your family. And it's like, man, I conceptualized, like I executed and I enjoyed this one thing all in this 30-minute period. And I know that a lot of guys, you know, especially young in your career, you don't feel like you're making an impact. For me, cooking was one of those things that kind of, allowed me to kind of justify to a certain extent or find a bit of satisfaction um, in what I was doing that I think a lot of people are crying out for. It's awesome. Um, so the book, a Southern Gentleman's Kitchen, uh, it's all about Southern cuisine. And that's sort of a, a risky topic to take <laughs> on because I'm in Oklahoma. I'm, Oklahoma sounded kind of weird. I don't know if I'm in the South or the Midwest or the West. We've been labeled all sorts of things, but I do know that Southerners take their Southern food extremely serious. Um, and if you, you mess it up, they'll, they'll, they'll just jump on you. Sure. Um, so how did you approach this book? Was it, did you want to stay true to the tradition? Did you add any innovations to it? Um, I mean, what was your approach to the book and as far as how you were going to, um, present the recipes? Uh, you know, man, I, I'll be honest. I'm going to give you a shout out and a, and a shout out to all your listeners and to your readers. Uh, writing on your site actually, I think, really prepped me uh, to write a book like this. And you and I have tackled some pretty tall subjects, you know, the perfect chili yeah. uh, to the perfect way to roast a chicken. The gumbo and one. What I lo- What's that? The gumbo. That was, oh, the gumbo. you were nervous that was about that, that one. Was- you were you were really nervous about that one. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you say that you're going to make the perfect gumbo, it's a it's a tall order. But you know, that being said, I, I think what's so awesome is that you create a community for people to not only share, like, oh yeah, that's exactly how I do it, 
Um, or, you know, you could never make gumbo and put tomatoes in it, or gumbo is only made this way. Um, you know, I, I've, prob- I've probably become a little bit desensitized to some of the comments, and, and I'd say, you know, 99% of the time everything's super favorable and everybody's really happy to see, uh, you know, us taking on these types of subjects. But when it came to Southern food, I'll tell you, one of the, the greatest things that my editor told me in the process is I think very early on in the book I was trying to showcase uh, everything that I knew about, let's just take like a, a pork shoulder, you know, you're going to smoke a pork shoulder. It's like I, growing up and, and being fortunate to, to travel throughout the South, I know how they do it in Texas versus North Carolina versus Georgia versus Florida and everything else. And I was trying to, like within 250 words, like showcase that everybody does it differently, blah, 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 and, like make sure that I covered all my bases Yeah. and then gave my recipe. And she was like, you know, you're not even speaking in your own voice. Like, just say that this is the way you do it. And if people have a, a problem with it, then who cares? Uh, this is your book. I mean, this is your opportunity. Uh, people are going to realize that, you know, they may have some different changes and nuances to it, but people really want to hear what your style is. And that freed me up so, so much to say, like, hey, this is, this is my lifestyle. This is what my family experiences has been. This is my South. Uh, I encourage you to to take what I give you as a template and, and maybe add in a dash of this or that or the other. Um, but this is my opportunity to showcase to you what my take on Southern cuisine has been, is right now, and will become in the future. So I really owe a lot of credit to her in that collaboration to kind of give me the confidence to speak in my own voice. So one of the things I love about your cookbook is that it's like really nice to look at, right? So like cookbooks... There's a, there's a ton of cookbooks out there, right? Their cookbooks are a dime a dozen. And I, we have a lot in our, our kitchen and most of them I don't even look at. Um, but yours, like, I just want to pick it up. And I've had people come in because it's been laying on our kitchen counter and there's like, this is the greatest. This looks great. And like the pictures are, the pictures are fantastic. Um, but the other thing I love about it is that you weave in these stories that go along with the recipes. Um, right. Like one of my favorites was you talk about a boar hunt that you went on. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then you have a recipe for how to cook a boar. So it tells, yeah, tell us about that boar hunt. I mean, that, that's really big. I don't think a lot of people understand like boar, like pigs are a pest here in the South. Like we got a ton of them they are. here in Oklahoma. Um, so yeah, tell us about the boar hunt. Man, again, another one of those random moments where like life connections uh, just work out to be this, this amazing experience. My wife was actually uh, snowboarding out in Utah, and she met a gentleman uh, with her friends. I was un- unfortunately not there. Uh, his name's Greg Arnett, and if anybody's ever uh, worn or seen Arnett sunglasses, this is the guy. I mean, the guy is worth quite a bit of money, um, but you would actually never know it. And she was telling him all about my story and what we were doing, and he was like, man, Matt sounds like a cool guy, and, and this is kind of that southern hospitality. He said, I, I own this 8,000-acre ranch in Florida. You guys should come down one weekend. He's a hunter. He loves to uh, to do adventure, and it would be a great place for you guys to do a photo shoot and, uh, you know, just have a good time. And it was one of those things that's like, careful what you wish for, bro. We're going to take you up on that offer. <laughs> and uh, so we did. We went down and, and set a whole uh, three-day weekend outside of uh, – his his ranch and outside of Orlando, Florida. And he also happens to be a helicopter pilot too. So we basically read, had like the greatest man weekend ever, like shooting bows and arrows, uh, grilling every night, you know, taking the fan boat out 
and all the while capturing this whole narrative of a really common ritual, if you will. It happened to be a wild boar hunt, but it could be deer hunting or turkey hunting. Um, and, and what we got out of it, not only did we have the opportunity to, to actually harvest a boar and, and, and create that recipe and tell that story, but it was an experience that uh, will forever be ingrained um, as, as one of the greatest things that I got to do from writing this book. Now, I know that you'll probably see like this cool picture of me hanging off a helicopter. Yeah, you're jumping out of a helicopter with aviator yeah. shades. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Looking. I don't get to do that every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it was one of those cool moments for me that even though we were capturing it and it was a, it was a first-time experience for me and it, it might have been a bit over the top, it, it was just a cool way for me to say, man, what an experience, what a journey. Um, and it is something that people do, especially in Texas. You know, they actually fly in helicopters and, and shoot with AR-57. Yeah. We were actually flying into the land and then sitting there for three or four hours because the helicopter was so loud. Um, but what I was trying to capture there, more importantly for the book, is it's adventure. You know, uh, cooking is an adventure. And it doesn't matter if you are sitting in, in your kitchen or you're going to the farmer's market or you happen to be hanging out of an MD-800 helicopter. Um, I've met so many guys that they can tell me the nuances, I mean, with pride about how they feel dress a deer. Yet the idea of them making an omelet in the morning doesn't sound manly enough. And I'll kind of poke at them. I'll be like, you know, like actually you butchering and field dressing is just as cool and just as manly as you perfecting an omelet, which you and I have taken that subject on too. Yeah. Um, so that was really what we wanted to get out of the whole board on. That's really cool. Yeah. And you've, uh, and for those who are interested, there are other uh, game recipes in here as well. And you've also written some recipes for wild game on the site. I think you had like venison sure. chili. Um which I think some people made and with great success. So check that out. Yeah. It's something that I, the boar hunt is something I want to do. I got a friend here in town who does it with pit bulls and knives. Like that's all they do. Um, <laughs> you, you've got me beat there. Man. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to see some pictures of that. We'll, we'll see how it goes down. Like the pit bull, like just like grabs the boar for you to, and then like it waits there for you to get there. And then you just sure. take your knife and you just stab it in the heart and then yep. it's done. So yeah, that's, uh, that sounds a little bit risky. Make sure you come up from behind. Yeah, for sure. So Matt, I always like to, uh, in these shows with some practical takeaways, like something that a guy can do today sure. to put into practice, like what we've been talking about. So, I mean, here's a question. If there's like one cooking project that a guy, any guy who's never really cooked ever before, and he's like, okay, I'm on the way home. I'm going to pick up some groceries and I'm going to try to make, is there like one thing that you think that any guy could do that isn't lame, like hot dogs, right? Yeah. But that's a little, involves a little work. Um, and the payoff is awesome. You know, I'm, it's funny you ask that question. Uh, we, we talk about flying helicopters and one of the things that I'm working on right now is getting my pilot's license, which is an incredibly humbling experience. And I've got a guy here that's, uh, in his late 50s, he's been a pilot for 25 years, and he's been a great resource for me. Uh, part of that was the deal. Uh, he takes me out when I'm not with my flight instructor so I can actually relax. It was, he's like, you know, I, I've never learned how to cook A, but what I want to really, 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 really get good at is cooking the perfect steak. He's like, so I'll take you up as much as you want to practice your flying and, and give you experience, but I want you to come over to my house and teach me how to cook several different cuts of steak in the perfect manner. Okay. And what's 
cool about that is it is so simple to cook a perfect steak. Okay. So that would be my challenge. And what it requires is just a couple of different things. Uh, it's going to require number one, and you and I talk a lot about this, a cast iron pan. Okay. So I, I'm not recommending that your listeners go out and spend hundreds of dollars on, on cookware. This is something you can pick up in your hardware store. You can probably pick it up in any grocery store across America. It's going to cost you 25 bucks. Uh, lodge cast iron, they season their skillets, they're ready to go. Uh, then it comes to a, a cut of steak. And I think we've written everything from skirt steaks to fillets to flank mm-hmm. steaks and everything between. But steaks are meant to be cooked extremely hot and extremely fast. So I, I like to use a bit of butter, uh, which allows you to get a nice caramelization of the steak. I love to use just simply salt and pepper. And in a cast iron pan over high heat, get a great sear on the outside of the steak. Give it a nice flip. Uh, whether it needs to go in the oven based on the thickness of the steak or not, or if you're cooking it on an outside grill uh, with cast iron on the grill, uh, you cook it up to your temperature, whether it's mid-rare, medium, hopefully it doesn't go beyond that point. <laughs> um, and that's one of my favorite. If you can master that, and it's such like the classic man dish, but so many guys cook steaks uh, so poorly, and all it requires is, is a little bit of technique, the right piece of equipment being cast iron, salt and pepper. Uh, and if you can start there, then I think you can start to evolve into a lot of different great dishes. Awesome. Is there a particular cut of steak that you think is pretty easy to work with? You know, one of my favorite cuts, um, you know, obviously people talk about your ribeye steak, which I think is like the chef's choice yeah. steak. Um, you know, filet mignon doesn't have enough fat, but it's super tender. Um, I happen to be a, a really big skirt steak guy. Uh, for me, it's it's one of those cuts that you can typically find your butcher. You can get them to uh, to cut it a bit thicker. Um, so that way, when I say thick, you don't want something that's super, super thin because then by the time you get a nice sear on it, it's almost going to be cooked all the way through. Yeah. So if you can get something that's like an inch, an inch and a half thick, um, it's got enough fat so you get all that great flavor like you get from a ribeye. But the way that it's cut and when you serve it across the grain, uh, super, super tender and tons of flavor. And what I love is, especially I knew when I was starting out, you know, it's affordable. You know, rather than paying like $20 a pound for a cut of steak, you can buy skirt steak for less than $10 a pound anywhere in the country. Um, and it's a really, really big payoff dish that I love to serve. Awesome. I just, cook, I just cooked skirt steak for lunch. Oh, uh, look at you, man. Great. Goodness, you're eating better than I am. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's another one of my favorite cuts that I've just gotten hip to is chuck eye uh-huh. steak. Oh, Absolutely. It's like, yeah, my butcher calls it, it's the poor man's ribeye. Yeah. And it's for sure. delicious. It's super you know, good. My, um, my grandfather was a butcher, and we talk a lot about that in the book, but uh, that's one of the things that he would always reserve, like the chuck eye and the, the skirt steak and, and all these other alternative cuts, because uh, that was his favorite. You know, that's what had the most flavor. And if you knew how to, pre- to, to prepare it in the right manner, um, you know, that's, that's the best way to do it. In fact, I've been really fortunate. Uh, when we talk about skirt steak, I do a lot of work up in Prince Edward Island, Canada, and cook a lot of festivals there. And the butcher, it's a very small, small town. If you ever have the opportunity, it's like going back in the 50s, beautiful place. We cooked skirt steak fajitas. And when I ordered it, the butcher told the uh, the guy that was organizing, organizing the festival that it was trash. It was trash <laughs> steak. <laughs> and we had people lined up on the street, man, just digging into the skirt steak. And the butcher personally called me like, 
three weeks later, and he's like, I, I have to compliment you because I've never sold so much trash to my customers in my <laughs> life. I'm sold out of screw steak. For That's months, awesome. Uh, because everybody's coming in demanding it. So I think if you bring a little bit of awareness and, and get people over the learning curve, uh, that's where you have a lot of fun. And that's kind of a bit of my mission is not always the top cut, but how do you make something really humble even better? That's fantastic. Well, Matt Moore, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a Thank pleasure. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it as always. Our guest today was Matt Moore. He is the author of the book, A Southern Gentleman's Kitchen. You can find that on Amazon.com. Go pick it up. It is it's a fantastic looking book. Um, I'm not a really big fan of cookbooks because they all sort of look the same. This one is awesome because it weaves in stories, great pictures, and the recipes are super easy, but they look awesome and they're delicious. So check it out, amazon.com. You can find out more information about his book at mattmore.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate it if you would give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is you use to listen to the podcast, because that will help other people discover the podcast and that helps us out. And, you know, one of the best compliments you can give is just recommend the podcast to your friends. So until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement. While another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.